Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health, and with me, as always, are fellow Associate Editors, Barry Bettino and Kevin Drewley. We welcome you to our July 2023 episode, number 41 overall. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We know that many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession. We want to hear more about it for our My Story feature in our magazine. Submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth@nsc.org. You can view past My Story entries and catch up on all the news from around the safety world on our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's episode, Barry will take us on a deep dive into his feature story on influence in the safety world. For our monthly Five Questions with interview segment, we will be joined by Mike Caspin of CPWR, the Center for Construction Research and Training, to talk about trenching and excavation safety. And the three of us will also share the lessons we learned this month in What Else? or What Did We Learn segment. Is everybody ready? Let's start the show. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we examine a feature story from the latest issue of Safety and Health magazine, which we call our Deep Dive segment. In our July issue, Barry writes about the power of influence and safety, offering insight and analysis into ways safety professionals can extend their reach to truly influence others on the job. Barry, as we approach the one-year countdown to the 33rd Olympic Summer Games in Paris, will you kindly take your mark and plunge into this latest Deep Dive? Well, certainly, Kevin, and thank you for that introduction. And I must say, as we launch into a discussion on influence in my nearly five years here at NSC, Kevin, you and Alan have always been very good influences for me, and I thank you for that. So for all the safety professionals out there today, we need to let you know one thing. You do have influence on safety where you work. Yes, your jobs do focus on systems and processes and KPIs and everything else, but it's influence that can help you make an important impact as well. And it can be a very powerful tool. So how does influence begin? So according to Rosa Carrillo, who is president of Carrillo and Associates, a consulting group, building a rapport is a great place for influence to start. And Rosa told us that it's like being in sales. People aren't going to buy anything from you if you don't make a good friendly or caring impression. And her point is that influence is closely related to the type of relationship that you have with someone. Building those relationships with people that you're working with and you're trying to keep safe, they can start pretty simply. And one of my sources for the story, Linnea Miles, who is the Assistant Vice President of Environmental Health and Safety at L'Oreal, she said that the relationship process for her begins with a simple hello in the morning to her colleagues. And she said, as a safety person, you never know how a positive interaction with someone can improve their outlook or their day. And she said, I try to be infectious. When I get that crack of a smile from someone, now I can get a better understanding and build that relationship. And building a relationship that then becomes a starting point for building rapport and building trust in those workers. In order to build all of those things, one of our sources, Victor Law, has a simple strategy. It's two words. Be present. Victor leads safety for the city of Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and he spoke to us for this story. Victor said he's not someone who stays tied to a desk or a cubicle. Whenever he gets a call about a safety issue, he asks that person to describe it to him over the phone first. Then he'll travel out to that job site to get his own eyes on the issue. And he said, I quote, I show up and I say, describe it to me now. Use your hands. 
And seeing it allows Victor to make safety recommendations while also getting out on the worker's turf. And that goes a long way. One of the most important comments I heard from several sources was that influence doesn't come from your title. So regardless of your role, you can and often do influence others. You don't need to have a name tag that says CEO or president or leader to have a positive safety influence on others. Every safety person has a unique background, so how can they use that to influence others? So, Alan, our, our own work experiences can certainly help shape the influence that we provide to others. Uh, Richard Fairfax, who is our NSC colleague and a former OSHA employee for three decades, he was another source for this story. And Richard talked about his work earlier in life in the oil fields in Texas, where he was a journeyman pipe fitter and welder. Richard said when he talked about that experience with others in his safety career, they appreciated that he had worked in that setting. And they knew that he understood what he was talking about. But another important aspect is that one experience should not shape you when it comes to influence. As Richard Fairfax said, safety professionals know a little bit about a lot of things, and that's important. But finding opportunities to learn and grow, and then being able to share that knowledge that you learn, that can be beneficial for yourself and for those that you're influencing. And for Richard, that realization came from his time on a committee that was setting threshold value limits on the airborne concentrations of chemical substances. He called it, quote, probably the most rewarding professional experience that I've had. He mentioned that being in the room with those folks on the committee, it was transformative. They were at a very high level and they really knew the subject matter very, very well. And he said that really rubbed off on him. Um, but that high-level experience and many others that he's had, it allowed him to grow his knowledge base and to be more of an influencer for others on the job. Are there ways, Barry, to grow or expand your influence and in safety? Yeah, Kevin, there are plenty of ways to do that. And, you know, one way the three of us try to do that, obviously, is by producing this podcast every month. Uh, some people might choose to be influential on social media uh, via a blog or a YouTube channel. One example of expanding your reach is from Victor Law. And Victor has a big job. He told me that in the city of Rocky Mount, there are 15 departments and 44 divisions that he oversees from a safety perspective. And Rocky Mount is also a city that is located in two different counties. So he puts together an email newsletter that goes out to a couple hundred subscribers three times a week. And there are plenty of safety lessons in there, along with some things to have fun with, maybe a link to a song that ties in with the theme of the email or a fun story. And I'll admit, guys, I did click on the link in a recent email and uh, listen to the entirety of Fly, Robin, Fly. Of course, Kevin and Alan, you remember that gem from Silver Convention, which hit number one on the charts in 1975. I know you do. A another tip that didn't make the story is that Victor said he relies on safety publications like ours, Safety and Health Magazine. And many news websites allow you to share a story with other contacts, either by email or by social media. And Victor said he's been able to use that tool to his benefit. He said he engaged with his colleagues in the fire service, for example, when he saw a safety and health news story about firefighters and the risk of cancer. And with a couple of clicks, he was able to share that information and have a touch point with his colleagues related to safety. And any way that safety pros can engage others and share their influence is beneficial. One thing not to lose sight of uh, came from Corey Pitzer, who's the CEO of SafeMap International. And I'll leave you guys with Corey's quote that closed our story. He said, and I quote, influence is a social interaction. 
without social interaction and the proximity of people in an environment, I don't know that there is a great capacity to influence. Thank you so much, Barry, for your work on this story. To read this feature, as well as other news from around the safety world, hopefully some that carries influence, please pick up the July issue of Safety and Health Magazine or visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your unique path into the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. You can share your safety origin story by sending a submission to us at safehealth at nsc.org. The number of deaths due to full or partial trencher excavation cave-ins more than doubled from 2021 to 2022. In response, OSHA announced an enhanced enforcement initiative last July. I explored the topic of trenching and excavation safety in a subsequent feature story in the April issue of Safety and Health. One of the sources for that story was Mike Kassman, Director of OSHA and Disaster Response Training at CPWR, the Center for Construction Research and Training. He joins us on this podcast once again to talk about this important topic. Mike, we're so glad you could be with us on the safe side. Hi, Alan. Thank you for uh, for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Why does trenching excavation safety continue to be an issue for employers and workers? Well, I think a lot has to do with um, there's a lack of um, proper training and, and uh, even supervision oversight. Uh, in a lot of cases, even uh, a lot of workers are <clears throat> finding themselves pushing uh, to take some shortcuts while they're, uh, you know, and uh, skipping some safety precautions. You know, employers need to emphasize, you know, some um, specific safety practices. Um, and that's got to be ongoing as well, you know, uh, while they're in the, doing these uh, trench activities. You know, many, many times it's often found that a lot of the uh, workers involved in the trench or excavation activities are not even aware or um, are up to speed on any of the current OSHA um, safety precautions while you're in trenches, safety regulations. Mike, as as CPWR and others have noted, the sheer weight of soil is one of the primary dangers when it comes to trenching and excavation. One cubic yard can weigh as much as a compact car. For those who may not know, what are some of the other main hazards? Well, as you you pointed out, cavens is number one, okay, Uh, the weight of the soil. Uh, How about uh, having no safe access? Um, You know, uh, employers engage, employees engaged in, in trenching activities often are found uh, you know, they, they may have only one ladder in a trench, which might be uh, okay depending on the length of the trench. Um, but uh, that that, lay, that ladder being used for safe access and egress should not be more than 25 feet away from an, uh, from a worker. Um, depends on the length of the trench. You may even have to have more than one um, ladder installed. Okay, uh, again, no more than 25 feet. Um, and that ladder should be at least three feet above um, um, the trench, uh, the opening of the trench. Other cases or other main hazards, um, you know, trenches are, are, are not being fully inspected prior for entry. Um, spoil piles are less than two feet. Um, there's no monitoring of hazardous materials or ha- uh, ha- uh, atmospheric hazards. That should be continuously monitored. Um, no protective system, you know, when you're in an unstable Trench, depending on the soil classification, um, you know, it's, it's important. OSHA gives you three options on using protective systems 
you know, whether it's benching, sloping, and or trench boxes, you know, so it's, it's important that these are implemented, especially any trench that's over uh, five feet in depth. Um, there's fall hazards, um, there's, you know, maybe perhaps no, no head protection, you know, uh, you know, other kinds of fall hazards, maybe, uh, you know, not, uh, not providing barricades from, uh, from above for people that are not, um, not typically engage in that activity. Machine, machinery, um, how about vehicle traffic? That's often overlooked too. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in a trench or excavation that's close to vehicle traffic, you gotta think about the, uh, you know, the vibration that may be occurring uh, that could cause uh, unstableness to the walls of the, of the excavation. Um, adjoining structures, uh, you know, so there's a number of things um, that could happen at any given time, you know, in a short short notice. Um, also, to, one thing that you should also uh, <clears throat> be cautious of is inclement weather. You know, maybe uh, in some cases, uh, you know, say a, a, a torrential downpour of rain, adding more water uh, into the excavation and water accumulation that could jeopardize the stability of the walls or the shoring and that kind of thing. Um, so they have to be continuously uh, monitored and uh, inspected for those things. What are some of the steps employers and workers should take for better trenching and excavation safety? Well, first off, I mean, uh, if they're engaged in activity, they should know they should be calling, um, call before you dig. You've probably heard of that slogan before, like 811, um, and identify any underground utilities, okay? Identify a competent person. Um, just to revisit that definition of a competent person, somebody that can recognize existing and predictable hazards. And with trenching and excavation, they should also have the knowledge um, and authority to stop corrective action and, and um, for corrective action. Um, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, keep, put some barricades up, keep unauthorized people away from the trench. Um, and above all, do not enter a trench until it's been um, fully inspected. So speaking of the competent person, uh, my story highlighted uh, that th there might be a conflict of interest in certain cases. And that person, uh, the competent person, might also have time pressures and money pressures because of deadlines and budget. How often does that conflict of interest happen and how can employers kind of avoid that? Well, they should probably have a conflict of interest policy. Um, you know, I don't see this happening in a lot of the bigger projects, but um, it would probably be on smaller ones, you know, because... Um, you know, your small contractor only has a handful of employees and they're worried about going on to the next job. Um, but a lot of these bigger projects, they have a safety officer that's strictly, you know, uh, you know, they'll be monitoring and they'll be solely on that excavation of trenches or any other safety um, related um, issue within the project. Um, you know, but the competent person that once they assign that person, um, he, he, you know, he's got some responsibilities. He's got a lot of responsibilities. You know, so that conflict of interest, uh, conflict of interest, on you know pushing deadlines and or money issues. I mean, you know, uh, you know, they should be. Uh, they can they can create some legal implications um, on that individual or on the company itself. Mike, one thing we like to offer our listeners is some resources where they can learn more. Can you share uh, some some resources that would be good places for our listeners to go to find out more information? Well, there's a number of sources that are out there. The first one I would say is the OSHA website. Um, they have a whole um, 
list of resources relating to trenches and excavation, hazard alert cards, uh, toolbox talks, um, you know, it's just a, like a one-stop page. Um, in addition, um, please visit our website, the National Center for Construction Research and Training, which is CPWR. Um, we also have a whole list of um, resources that are available for everybody. Uh, free, you know, obviously, there's no charge. Uh, there's, you, you can also, also rely on OSHA's consultation program. Um, they're there to help for those contractors that are engaged in uh, trenching and excavation. And if, I don't know if you heard of this, but uh, right now we have an, uh, there's an ongoing safety campaign. It's called the Trench Safety um, Stand Down. It's promoted by the National Utility Contractors Association. It's running till Friday. But if you um, take a look at it, it's posted on the OSHA website as well as other places. Um, uh, the abbreviation is NUCA, N-U-C-A, for the National Utility Contractors Association. Just kind of Google that and get to the website, and they'll have a whole list of additional resources and activities um, for individuals. For those that are interested in furthering their education on the mechanics of excavation, I, I encourage you to um, look up and uh, take the following, uh, the OSHA 3015 course, um, which is a, a very in-depth course covering the uh, covering this, the OSHA standard, um, shoring and slope of walls of excavations, various types of shoring, you know, going through in detail, um, you know, uh, specific hazards relating to excavation and trenches and the roles and duties of a competent person in those activities and that kind of thing. Um, again, it's the OSHA 3015, there is, um, and that, that, that can be available at any OSHA Ed Center. Uh, and all you have to do is go on the OSHA.gov, look for um, additional training, and uh, they'll, they'll guide you to the link for the next upcoming courses. Well, thank you again, Mike, for sharing your expertise on this topic. We appreciate you being our guest on the podcast this month. Hey, thank you for having me, and uh, I appreciate it. As we approach the end of this episode, it's about that time to discuss what we've learned in the past month, whether on the job or off. To get things started, we'll discuss a little bit more about what was learned for another story that's published in the July issue, and that is all the developments afoot with uh, with heat awareness and possible, not only a possible OSHA standard, but things that are being done at the, the state level and just some other federal organizational levels. It's quite a bit to decipher, and I know that we often, as you hopefully follow the website and the magazine, we report on these things as they happen, but these rulemakings are a living, breathing thing. Sometimes they live and breathe a little slower than other living things, as we know and can attest, and the the intro to the story leans into that, um, just because, especially with a, a federal standard, you're dealing not only with indoor and outdoor workers in multiple industries, but when you discuss that outdoor element of it, it's something that's geographical. We all know that around the country, every place and, and time can and season can be different and interchanging. So the, the story leans into that and wasn't so much learning things like that because, again, those are easily acknowledgeable. But some of the, the more interesting nuggets are what m might influence a possible standard and um, through through recent months, um, a subcommittee of NACOSH has met a series of times, and they recently gave those recommendations from their meetings to NACOSH on the whole, and NACOSH had voted to accept them. And some of those things that they would suggest that a federal rulemaking on heat would include providing a framework for risk and hazard assessment, identifying triggers and what will take place, and also ensuring management and employers are informed about hazards and what to expect and, and who's in charge. It was discussed that 
employers would develop a written exposure control plan or a heat illness prevention plan, and those items that were just discussed would be part of those. So encourage you to, to take a look in the magazine and online just to, to get up to date on what's going on either in your state and nationwide, and also just continue to, to follow the website on those things. Alan, how about you? Well, speaking of OSHA standards, we uh, we got to see the spring 2023 regulatory agenda recently, and we learned a little bit. An update to the lockout-tagout standard has been pushed to long-term actions, as has the shipyard fall protection standard. As readers may know, uh, OSHA currently also has two final rules under OIRA review, that's the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs through the White House, and that's one of the final stages in the rulemaking process. And one is COVID-19 in healthcare settings. It's been under review since December 7th, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be coming out anytime soon. And the same with um, the revised rule on injury and illness data submission. That's been under review since April 7th. Uh, Barry, what about you? Well, Alan, on uh, June 13th, I was covering the National Forklift Safety Day event, which took place in Washington, D.C. I was covering that virtually. And Doug Parker, the OSHA administrator, was one of the speakers there. And he shared some information uh, that a national emphasis program that will focus on high injury rates in warehouses uh, will launch sometime this summer. Uh, He wasn't specific about the dates, but he did mention that folks should be aware of those enforcement efforts and their forthcoming, and it's imperative that people get ready now through their training and other methods. And this event was obviously for a room full of folks in the uh, powered industrial trucks industry, and he said, The NEP will cover all aspects of the operation, including powered industrial trucks, and it will likely be publicly rolled out sometime in July uh, with an effective date soon there afterward. But as we know, sometimes those dates can change. So just be aware, folks, uh, for those listeners that sometime this summer you may see a national emphasis program from OSHA uh, on warehouses. Now it's our listeners' turn. Is there something important that you learned this month? Please share it with us via email at safehealth at nsc.org. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this month's episode. We know that your time is valuable, and we appreciate you spending just a bit of it with us each and every month. Feel free to visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash podcasts to check out all of our past episodes, such as episode 20, for example, which includes a discussion on electrical safety for all workers and information about human and organizational performance, which some safety pros may know as HOP. We'd appreciate you rating, reviewing, or spreading the word about this podcast to your fellow safety pros. To find stories such as my feature on influence and safety and all the latest news from around the safety world, check out safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also, make sure you follow us on your favorite social media channel. Original music for this podcast was composed by Steve Maslin. Thank you kindly, Steve. Big thanks to all of our NSC colleagues behind the scenes who make this podcast go. Ryan Gruntish, Amy Bellinger. Debbie Meyer, Paul Walensky, Karen Lord, Melissa Ruminski, and Jennifer Yario. We'll be back next month to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little. In the meantime, please stay on the safe side. <music>